Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Greg Pickett. So uh, welcome back to the uh, the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am thrilled to have uh, with me Anthony Bonome. Anthony is the Hello, Director of Sales with uh, Fountain Blue Aviation down in uh, Apalaka, Miami, Florida. So uh, he's got a great 15-year uh, career in, uh, in FBO and you know, aircraft, uh, you know, basically in the aviation and FBO business. And uh, we met back at Corporate Jet Investor a while back and thrilled to have him on. Mm -hmm. Anthony, how are you doing today? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for, uh, again, your service. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's an exciting, exciting opportunity. No, it's great. So uh, your background is pretty interesting. You started out as a math teacher in New York, and then you entered yes, this, uh, the, this crazy world of... Uh, uh, FBO management and FBO sales. How'd you make that transition? Uh, well, I'm definitely uh, New York roots. And uh, when you have New York roots, it seems like a lot of the career paths are either, you know, uh, electrician, union, fire department, police department, teacher. So, uh, you know, my whole family is either teachers or tradesmen. My brother is actually a FDNY fireman in Brooklyn. So uh, as I was looking for a job in hospitality, I actually was teaching. That turned into a full-time gig while I was working at Cedarboro, uh on the weekends. And then at some point after teaching for a couple of years, and, which I did enjoy, you know, it turns out when you don't think you're going to enjoy something and you're just, you know, doing it because you were kind of, uh, you know, fell into that route, it ended up being pretty enjoyable to teach the kids. It was math that I was teaching them. And, uh, and then uh, at some point I did have to transition, make a decision. And that's when I went to Peterborough full-time, thinking I could always go back to teaching if I wanted to. And here I am 15 years later, working at an FBO in Miami, nonetheless, which I never even thought I would leave Brooklyn or Staten Island. And I'm a thousand miles south, which is pretty cool. Definitely there you go. Cool. So, so, you know, so Fountain Blue has got a nice little name for itself down, down in Miami. Um, obviously a very high-end independent. Yeah. What's happening? Uh, yeah, we were talking a little bit offline. What do you, you know, what are you seeing amongst your customers now? How's the, how's the market changing a little bit amongst the, uh, you know, you've got what, 75 airplanes in your hangar now. Yep, how, how are you seeing your customers changing? Uh, we're definitely seeing, you know, Miami has an interesting blend of, uh, you know, it's kind of the safe house for, it seems like a lot of overflow because South Florida has always been people's second home. And I, th I think technology has played a, a large part and people realize they could spend a lot of time at their second home or maybe even create it their main home. So what, what has once been a spot that people liked to travel to now has become their main spot. And that's a combination of South America, certainly the Northeast, all of New York and the Boston area, D.C. area, Pennsylvania area. And then, of course, a little bit of Europe. You know, we have people, uh, you know, probably 10% of our business is coming in from Europe. So it's kind of this mecca of Northeast, South America, Europe that has really created a nice identity for itself. And uh, with recently, it hasn't hurt that uh, 
in New York, obviously the taxes aren't as advantageous as they would be in South Florida. So we see a lot of operations, full operations, just transitioning to South Florida, but it has allowed the Miami market to continue to mature at a pretty rapid rate. So it's exciting to be a part of that because they expect a certain level of service. I always say that we're not comparing ourselves to other South Florida operations. We want to be the best. And if people are coming from all over the world and now calling Miami their home, you want to be the best to what they've seen, not just in South Florida, but anywhere. So we hold the bar pretty high fountain blue development with the other properties, you know, uh, GW Marriott, fountain blue South beach. They all have an extremely high standard. So we're just falling in line with what the company has done outside of aviation. So the, amongst the demographic, I mean, everybody's talking now about the demographic of the, uh, the business jet user starting to get a little bit younger. Um, you know, tech companies, maybe a little bit of younger CEOs coming on. Are you seeing a, are, are you seeing a big change in the expectations um, amongst your customers say, at all? I would say that's very accurate. It's uh, been pretty incredible. You know, in my time in Teterboro, I had the, the pleasure of seeing people grow from citations to challengers to globals over the course of 10 years you know, grow with the same crew, hire more crew members. And in my past three years here, not specific necessarily to Miami, but just kind of what's going on out there in the industry, we've seen people, younger people say, this is my first aircraft. I'm looking for a hangar. Okay. What type of aircraft is it? It's going to be a Gulfstream 650. Like, okay. All right. (laughs) This is your first aircraft. How old are you? 38. Okay. You know, and it's usually tech based or, you know, somebody who had built up a company that, getting traction extremely fast or, uh, you know, a variety of different reasons, but it seems like, you know, uh, the, the big ticket items or the wealth can happen quicker with the younger generation. So we still see the growth. We still see people going from challengers to global 5,000 6,000 and G280s going to G650s, but there's definitely been this market of first time users jumping right into pretty big aircraft and not because it's over their head, just because that's, how it happened for them. So pretty incredible. So you as an FBO, so, you know, you've got, how do you and your FBO staff adjust to that? I mean, are the expectations of a younger owner different than, you know, one who's more mature? Have you seen a, a change there or is, you know, is it you know, high end service, high end service um, across the board? I mean, are you seeing, are you seeing some changes in technology that these guys expect from you? What, What's, what's the challenge in dealing with the new demographic? Uh, well, I'll definitely say this. I'll, I'll, it's a good and a bad thing. I'll knock aviation in general by saying it seems like aviation is always lagging a little bit with what's out there from a communication and technology standpoint outside of the actual machines that we fly. So from responsiveness and, you know, you think of things like Uber and people are always trying to come up with the next aviation app-based Uber uh, piece of technology – Younger owners typically are pretty savvy with communication and and response times on certain things. So even though there's an education standpoint that maybe you may think is elementary for people who have been in aviation for the past 20 years and grew through the system, they seem pretty responsive. Nothing intimidates them. So you might be you might be starting out like, how does this guy not know this already? But 
in such a short time of dialogue over a couple months, you seem like you're talking about things that are pretty well advanced because they exist outside of aviation already. They've seen it outside of aviation already, and they usually don't want to think that it doesn't or can exist within the realm of aviation. So um, you just got to be prepared, be on your toes, you know, and actually be open to what they're looking for. They, it seems like they, they allow less of a buffer. Sometimes in the past uh, owners had much, many more middlemen involved. And now it seems like uh, the newer generation aren't afraid to communicate directly with who is offering them what, because that's how they got to, where they're at. So it's definitely an interesting dynamic, but, um, you know, responsiveness is always going to be the key. You know, everybody who uses Uber and uses these things grew up in a world of you can get whatever you need in less than five minutes, 10 minutes. So, uh, as long as you stay in line with those types of expectations, you should be, should be okay. Yeah, I got you. Now, now of, of the, the airplanes in your hangar, you know, 91, they're all in a 91, some are on a 135 ticket. You were saying that, you know, a lot of them, hey, the, the days of someone wanting two, three hundred hours of charter on their airplane is starting to go away. What, uh, what's the expectation amongst people in their airplanes now? I would say um, definitely the need or the desire to use their aircraft for 135 to offset cost um, has gone away. But it, it's kind of for a positive reason because of the examples that pop into my head. It seems like they're not using their aircraft to do charter, but they're using their aircraft to grow their own business. And the utilization of the aircraft has not gone down, just that if somebody was going to use the aircraft 500 hours and in the past it was 250 and 250 for charter, it seems like they're using it 475 out of the 500 hours for their own business to grow their own business. And that has had exponential growth and revenue for their own business, which to me is how it should be. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see people grow and actually say, you know, in, in a year or so, we're going to need another aircraft because we're flying more and going more places and the company's growing more. It's like, okay, that's what it's used for. This is a business tool. So from our standpoint, we like when the planes fly, regardless, we don't get too much into the charter 135-91 aspect of it. We just like to see the, the asset being utilized, and uh, there's no shortage right now of the assets being utilized. Just how they're being utilized seems to be uh, the difference. Yeah, no, I hear you. What, so, you know, so the guys that are flying their airplanes now and they're growing their business, and, and you always see the uh, – you know, there's always the debate, you know, cost-effective, waste of money – Somewhere in between. What are the, you know, what's the message that these guys are telling you privately or offline about the value of the airplane? Um, it, w- it would just be impossible to do what they're doing. I think even more so now than, than in the past. Certainly, uh, people know that you can hit multiple cities, cities and get to multiple meetings if you have the right tool. And everybody seems to be a little bit more conscious as, as to getting the mission-sensitive aircraft for their needs but i it would be no fabrication to say that their business would not be where it is if they didn't have the aviation tool that they have at their disposal uh and you know i'm I'm a family guy as well their family relationships wouldn't be where it would be if they didn't have the tool as well so it's certainly a business tool but if you made all of your meetings being able to get back home to your family that same night 
certainly weighs into it, even though that didn't close the deal that closed, you know, that kept your family relationship and your family bond healthy. And that long-term, you know, makes your business continue to grow as well. So, um, you know, family and business. And I, I just feel like people are using them more uh, the right way these days and even more efficient than they were 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I've run into a lot of people, you know, recently, you know, they've, they're, run, they're, they're flying stuff everywhere from a, an older CJ2 or a Bravo. I ran into a guy not too long ago with a CJ4, you know, a little bit bigger. And then, you know, I've known a lot of people, 650s, 550s, 650s. And like, uh, we couldn't, we couldn't do what we do, you know, without it. You know, one guy was based up in North Dakota. He runs a fuel business yeah. out of North Dakota. He's like, yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it, you know. And uh, uh, yeah, there's always so much in the press. You know, the first thing, the the first thing to go is the uh, is the jet. I really wish the first thing to get criticized is the company jet. And I really wish that somebody would take an objective look in the press and say, look, these things really are our tools. Um, you know, it, so. Absolutely, I mean, they're absolutely tools, and. Uh, you know, they, they've become more dynamic. Um, obviously, a, a, every aircraft you can think of, certainly the ones that charter, but anybody who's got a functional asset that's running their business, it seems like they have Wi-Fi on the aircraft or some type of connectivity. So it doesn't end. It used to be, okay, when you were on the plane, you know, kind of time stopped from, a, you know, your communication standpoint. But now we're just free-flowing with information. Nothing stops. Everything continues to go even while you're going. So exponentially, you just... The productivity is through the roof. What's the biggest challenge you guys have that down there as uh, as an FBO? What's uh, what's the biggest challenge uh, from your I would say Miami? My not not so much Miami, but since we're on the sake of you know how efficient the aircraft are, um, an interesting piece me being the fuel guy and always looking at the fuel numbers is uh, you used to compete with. The, air, the FBOs on your field for fuel volume. That was a common thing. Um, you know, it still is, you know, who you, you are competing for market share with, but with 550s and 6,000s and Gulfstream 650s, I mean, they could take fuel in Shannon, Ireland and bring it back to Miami, not need fuel in Miami, fly to San Francisco. I mean, these are common things now where you're like, wait a minute, where, where's the fuel on that plane? It stayed three days and it's a giant plane where you're expecting something tremendous. And uh, you realize you're, you're competing with all of the other stops of the aircraft rather than just what's in Miami or South Florida. So from that standpoint, the world has, they would say the world shrinks. Well, it definitely shrinks from a competition standpoint because now you need to be their best service and price option with probably half a dozen spots in their route in that week. So uh, it's interesting. It's interesting yeah. for sure. So what are you guys doing to make it, uh, you know, it, the FBO industry business is very competitive. Um, you know, you, 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 you probably have one or two other competitors on the field. How do you yep. make it not a race to the bottom and who can, you know, just sell fuel at the cheapest price? So we're, we're, at an airport, Opalaka, Miami, that has, you know, an identity that's grown through time. Certainly the other FBOs on the field are larger chains. And uh, the good and the bad of that is the larger chains are what people are used to. You can't, you can't avoid them. Signature Flight Support, Atlantic, they have, you know, over 200 and over 60 respective locations. So it's our job to know their format and uh, kind of, mimic the format but 
be flexible where the client needs because it's something that they're used to. They're used to seeing this format. They're used to knowing how the accounting works. They're used to seeing how it's built. So you don't want to go too far from what is standard, but you also want to find where the deficiencies are and build your, your program around that. And uh, I, I think we've done a good job of that. Certainly relationships always come into play. I've mentioned that earlier. You know, it, this is as, as big as the industry gets and as much as uh, software and technology that you put into it, there still is a trigger person. There still is a relationship there that, that needs to be, that needs to grow and there needs to be a trust there. But uh, my, my big thing is uh, analytics. I love dissecting every number that's possible, particularly the ones that people haven't been paying attention to for a certain amount of time. And, uh, you know, really diving into the numbers, you know, the yin and yang of it all is uh, the relationships and the analytics. So um, for me, that's the fun part. A lot of times for the answers, I look at outside of aviation. You know, I love sports analytics. I love, uh, you know, obviously everything that Amazon's done and some of these logistic companies. And you realize that nothing happens by accident, you know, whether it's a pricing structure, whether it's an occupancy, whether it's an offering, everything has value. And if the value is all priced and offered correctly and executed in a timely manner, certainly time has value as well. You can find the sweet spot, whether it's anything from a uh, minuscule fee to a fuel price to communication with the client. So uh, there really is no one trick but I think you need to be open-minded to look at everything and find where you want to pour your time into to get the biggest results. Who's becoming more, you know, you know, I can't think of too many more businesses that are, you know, that are as relationship driven as y'all's. And you think about, you know, a chief pilot or a pilot, you know, you know, pilot in command or the owner of the aircraft, how are you keeping the relationships with, all of those people alive. And obviously you've got your own tenants, but then you've got yep. transient airplanes coming through as well. And how are you getting, yeah. how, how do you go about getting the chief pilot of that aircraft to say, Hey, we're going to go stop at, you know, fountain blue and convince that to the owner that that's the right decision or vice versa. How do you communicate to the owner and uh, you, you get, get the pilot to make that decision? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, even though I love the analytics, first and foremost, if you if you have a good company and you're doing the right thing from a service standpoint and you're doing the right thing from a pricing standpoint, word of mouth certainly is still something in our industry or any industry that has a tremendous amount of value, uh, whether it's through newer avenues of technology, meaning people posting things and, you know, all in, you know, the all to the benefit of your company. Obviously, certainly if you're, if something's going wrong, you don't want them to post that either, but uh, word of mouth will always have a tremendous amount of value. But I think it's more importantly with balancing these relationships, it's that the industry continues to grow and to know the channels that are effective. Uh, we've recently switched to being able to text our crew members and text you know, dispatch and give them that offering because even though email and phone call and all of these things are still available, you don't want to ostracize somebody who says, okay, you know, I, I text for everything. Why can't I text to you? Or I 
do, I go just right to the website. I'm able to click right through it and get what I need. I don't have to talk to anybody. So I think it's important that when we say balance the relationship, it's balance the relationship through the avenue of communication that's preferred for them. Sometimes people just want to talk to one person and that's it. Great. Sometimes people don't want to talk to anybody. That's great too, as long as they're getting what they need. But if their experience is positive, um, I think that's a tremendous thing. And I, a lot of times use myself as my own guinea pig. I find that obviously everybody likes Amazon. If you're able to click through Amazon and get everything you need and you didn't talk to anybody on the phone and that's what you like. Okay, perfect. Then you, then happy customer. So just in, very, very interesting. Just keep it, uh, just, you know, Hey, look, it's like everything in the world, you know, the, the better you can you know, relate more relationships you can have the, uh, the better the business. How about Miami? Is the, uh, you know, obviously you, you know, uh, you know, big airport authority, you, know, you find that working with the city is in, in Apalaka has been a, a, a very positive you know, type experience. The relationships there are, you know, is, is, are those ones that are easy to, to keep moving forward or? Yeah, you know, I, I had to jump into the learning curve of Miami coming from obviously the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey, and a lot of the uh, airports within proximity of Peterborough all falling under the same, uh, you know, collective umbrella there. But uh, in Miami, I, I grew to understand the difference between Broward and Miami-Dade, and even though they're they're very close to each other, certainly there are different bodies there that are trying to grow their their entity. So Miami-Dade has, has certainly been behind the growth of Opelaka, particularly since it's been so, uh, you know, so aggressive over the past decade. This is an airport that goes all the way back to the Cold War. Amelia Earhart flew out of there. So it's an airport that has a lot of history, but from a corporate standpoint, it went from the airport that used to be the graveyard where planes went to die to pretty much a top three, four airport in the country from a corporate standpoint. So it's exciting to see the growth. It's exciting to be a part of the growth. But yeah, we definitely have the support of the companies around us and, and Miami in general. So you, it's uh, very cool. Is Fountain Blue, are you guys investing in other airports? You're happy with your property there? What's, uh, are you expanding? Or are, you, are, you, are you just you know, really you know, focusing on what you got and doing everything you can to make it better? I would say ownership is, uh, again, visionaries when it comes to opportunities. Uh, there was an opportunity in Opelika every bit of 10 years ago. Bobby Courtney, our VP, came on about seven years ago, grew it to, you know, I came on board and collectively we've been tackling everything together. But uh, the SOFA family is, uh, again, visionaries where if it's an opportunity, not necessarily aviation, uh, but hospitality in South Florida, they'll be interested if it happens to be aviation, it happens to be aviation. But I, I think uh, collectively, you know, it's just opportunities in general that can play off of each other. So having having Opalaka Airport and FBO at Opalaka helps stimulate the Fountain Blue Hotel relationships and the JW Marriott and the golf courses. So, um, you know, always adding pieces that can continue to work off of each other. So yeah. hopefully other aviation pieces, but, you know, no guarantees. There you go. How many now? How many movements a year will you uh, will you guys handle? Uh, the airport or Fountain Blue? Fountain Blue. Fountain Blue. So the airport, uh, you know, thankfully we're doing well. We we share market share with uh, you know uh, Signature and Atlantic, but thankfully we are the the leaders there. So I know that's uncommon for an independent to lead the market share at an airport, but that that's what, where we've grown to. 
And um, movements-wise, we're, we're doing – I mean, it's peak season right now, so numbers could be up to, you know, 50 arrivals, 50 departures on busy days, you know, uh, 60, 70 departures. And uh, it doesn't really do a ton of peaks and valleys uh, in the season. Certainly summer is slower, but South American stuff picks up. So I, I would say every bit of 100 a day. That's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good amount of traffic. Yeah, it's it's very busy, you know, and it's and it's it's a healthy split of tenant and transient. You know, uh, the airport has probably was probably heavy dose of tenant, and then transient only during peak seasons. But the transient stuff has certainly gone throughout the whole year, and uh, it, it's not. I guess the way I, I see it through my eyes is if you're there and you're seeing it every day, you realize that the transient business is not people that are going on vacation. Certainly you still have that, but it's, it looks a lot like that New York traffic that I used to see of people coming in on a Monday, leaving on a Wednesday, and they didn't come with their kids or, you know, they're coming in, they're having business meetings, they're seeing headquarters in Miami. So it's, uh, it's got that corporate feel to it without losing that weekend uh, vacation right. traffic either. Gotcha. Hey, let's take you know, five minutes. Let's take five more minutes to talk about one thing. I hear about the democratization of business aviation. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of people trying to make it, you know, open to more people or, you know, cheaper per seat. From, uh, you know, you see the customers coming through your, you know, your doors every day. Is yep. that real? Is, is that a real trend or is it you know, just something that's going to be challenging? Um, I love it. I, I think it's absolutely a real trend. I think it's uh, incredible that that route that people are going, number one, being an advocate for general aviation, it adds a layer that didn't exist. It didn't shuffle from a different bucket or a different column. It, you're essentially taking your first class commercial airliner passengers and bringing them over to aviation and perhaps maybe it stimulates growth in their company where they can jump on a light jet or a midsize, but, um, you know, shuttles and sell by seat. Um, I've seen it work. Certainly people are familiar with jet smarter and some of these other companies that, uh, depending on which side of the fence you were on, you could say it worked or didn't work, but it can work and it will continue to grow blade is one that runs one route from uh, Opalaka to White Plains. Mm -hmm. And they run it during when there's saturation points. And if you have the saturation, it does, it does work. So as long as you're working with points that, that have that saturation level, you can continue to offer those, those products. But I, I think I, I enjoy the battle between first class and, and private and uh, first class and uh, private jets. I think it's interesting. And uh, I also think it's interesting what, Emirates and some of these other people, other companies that are out there do to combat that because at some point somebody might want a first class seat because you get a desk, a bed, a shower, and that might be better than one seat on a Gulfstream. So it, it, it's this constant battle going back and forth, but uh, in the end, it, it grows general aviation and that and puts more fuel on planes and puts more fl planes in the air and allows people to be more efficient. So. I'm fully on board with it, big advocate for, for it, and I uh, think it will continue to grow. Yeah, no, I, you know, look, I, I like the concept. I like, you know, I like what Blade is doing in Miami now with a couple of helicopters they're putting down there. 
um, yep. you know, from you know Miami to Key West and Miami to other you know other points in South Florida. And um, you know, I, I think that there's a, a real business case for that to be made there. Um, I, I think, yeah, it's more important instead of trying to cover the whole map, just cover the, cover the points that are showing that it could support it. Yeah, absolutely. So I got you. So uh, how do people get a hold of you? <laughs> My cell phone is out there to everybody in the world, I guess. Uh, it's the same number I've had since high school. And uh, all through Teterboro and on my email, and I pride myself on being 24-7. So I know that's the name of the game. You know, uh, you build your life around that. But uh, like I said, I I have fun doing what I'm doing, working with the team that um, we're working with. And, uh, you know, it's never – it's never the phone never rings, and I'm never saying, oh, I'm not going to pick that up. It's usually somebody that I can help. I pride myself on helping people and finding a solution, even if I don't directly have the answer. So – no, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book for sure. And the company website is fbaviation.com, right? Correct. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Anthony, for coming on. I loved having you today. Yeah, excellent. I look forward to staying in touch with you as well. Let's come back and uh, let's come back and do this again. Absolutely. Thank you again. Yeah.